Many followers of Christ cringe when the topic of giving comes up. Even when we do give, we're often motivated more by guilt than gratitude. But this is not how Scripture motivates us to give. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. We're so grateful that you join us today on the podcast. As always, you can find thousands of free gospel equipping resources at Radical.net. Well, in this sermon on Psalm 86, David Platt points us to several biblical motives for our giving. And ultimately, we'll see that we give in response to God's infinite grace so that others might see His glory. Here's David with a sermon titled, Behold His Grace from Psalm 86. I was praying about our time together uh, today. I thought it would be helpful for you to hear from my heart on a biblical approach to giving because the last thing I want us to do is talk about giving or for us as a church to approach giving the way the world approaches giving. And a godly approach to giving is radically different than a worldly approach to giving. Unfortunately, I'm concerned that much supposedly Christian giving is actually godless. You know, I suspect, you can turn on any number of TV stations and see supposedly Christian ministries manipulating the Bible and people to make all kinds of money, and it's sick. It's not biblical Christianity. It's practical con artists who are defaming the name of Jesus Christ. What I'm most concerned about, though, is how worldly, godless approaches to giving can subtly creep into the church. So I, as one of your pastors, I want to make sure that when we talk about giving, we know the difference between worldly giving and godly giving. And I've been praying about, well, what is that? How, how do we do that on one of these Sundays? And I wish I could say I planned this, but I'm just not that smart. The text I just so happened to have planned months ago for us to be in a day gives us a beautiful picture of the motives for godly giving. So here's what I want to do. I want us to read this text, Psalm 86, and then I want us to step back and think about, if you're taking notes, so five motives for worldly giving. So motives that if we're not careful, will creep into the way we think and even talk about giving in the church. Then after we hit those five motives for worldly giving really quick, then I want to show you five motives for godly giving in this incredible psalm. So just to be clear, this psalm is not specifically about giving, but it does contain truths that totally transform the way we think about giving. So let's, let's read it together. Psalm chapter 86 this is a prayer King David prayed when he was in some sort of trouble. We don't know the specifics, but he looks up to God and he calls out, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. 
Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Oh, what a beautiful song. So before we, before we dive into the truths that are, that are here, so let's step back for a minute. And let's think about worldly giving. So specifically, five motives for worldly giving. We're going to hit these quick, but they're all so significant to see. So number one, pride. Pride. Worldly giving is motivated by pride on at least two levels. So one, we give to things in the world that make man look great. Maybe the earliest example of this in the Bible, the Tower of Babel. Can you imagine the fundraising campaign for that one? Give your bricks and mortar. We're going to build a monument to man. People gave generously, sacrificially, and it was built. And thousands of years later, there are all sorts of people, institutions, and organizations today that you and I can give to that have as their aim the exaltation of all that man can do with no regard for God. That's pride. But then, even in supposed charitable giving for the most worthy causes, there can be pride in our hearts over how we're giving, even a desire to be acknowledged in some way for our giving. And if we're not careful, churches and Christian ministries can actually fuel this with extra honor bestowed on people who give the most. We name buildings or initiative after givers. We give plaques or create memorial books to honor givers. When Jesus has specifically warned us, Matthew chapter 6, when you give to the needy, don't make any noise about it. That's what hypocrites do because they like the praise of men, not with you. When you give to the needy, do it in secret. Like your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. Godly giving is so different than even so much supposed Christian giving today. Now pride leads to the second motive for worldly giving, which is power. Because the more you give to something, the more power you think you have over that something. So large donors to an organization or ministry or church suddenly start to have more influence in what that organization or ministry or church does. People give and they expect that power. Or if or when they don't get that power, then they'll threaten to take their gifts elsewhere. Ladies and gentlemen, plainly put, that is political lust for power and it has absolutely no place in the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible specifically and sternly warns James 2 about giving any preferential treatment to the wealthy. Acts chapter 8 verse 20 makes clear that you cannot buy spiritual power with material wealth. I realize even as I'm saying some of these things that fundraisers in the world would say, I'm shooting myself or even the church in the foot here because so much fundraising in the world and again, even in the church is driven by appeals to people's pride and lust for power. And we've got to be careful that it doesn't drive us. Amen. Third motive for worldly giving is guilt. 
I think this one is pretty obvious. Many giving appeals are based upon guilt feelings, cause people to feel bad about themselves for all they have, and they will give. So people give out of guilt because they feel like they have to or should need to, which is not how the Bible tells us to give. 2 Corinthians 9 specifically tells us not to give reluctantly or under compulsion like that. Worldly appeals, and again, some supposedly Christian appeals for giving attempt to make us feel bad about all that we have. Just a minute, I want to show you how godly giving is, is, godly giving is actually driven by the exact opposite motivation. So fourth motivation for worldly giving is greed. Greed, now this may at first be a surprising motivation. You wouldn't expect greed to be motivation for giving things away, but this is where appeals for even supposedly Christian giving can be so dangerous because there is so much money raised for supposedly Christian church ministry by people who promise that if you give materially to God, God will give materially to you. I was just in Brazil. I saw the prosperity gospel rampant across that country. Ministries, supposed churches. It's not just there, it's here, it's around the world. Supposed pastors raising all kinds of money off the backs of the poor, promising that if they give materially to God, they will get materially from God. Now, I want to use my words carefully here because in just a minute, we're going we're to talk about how the, the, there is fruit of Christian giving in our own lives. Like it's indeed good for us to give. But when I see all sorts of gimmicks, give to this ministry, this church, and you'll get this gift, this accolade, this recognition. We just have to be careful not to appeal to the subtle sinfulness of greed that lies within each one of us. Amen. Final motive for worldly giving, temporary need. Temporary need. And all I'm saying here is the obvious that worldly giving is focused on needs in the world. And one day, this world and all that's in it is going to pass away which means that any giving that's focused on this world is motivated by a desire to meet a temporary need. And I want to be clear that giving to meet temporary needs is not necessarily bad or even unwise. It's often good and wise. We give, should give, to meet all kinds of temporary needs in the world. Think of the most urgent physical needs in the world. Needs for clean water and food among the starving. Needs for education. Needs for orphans, widows. The Bible itself calls us to meet, in this sense, temporary needs. But what I want to show you in a minute is that godly giving, unlike worldly giving, doesn't stop with temporary needs. Worldly giving is focused on temporary needs in the world. So how is godly giving different then? And I'm using the word godly here instead of Christian because, well, I hope as we realize maybe a little better right now, like unfortunately there's much supposed Christian, even church giving that is actually godless. It's not honoring to God. It's honoring to man in ways that actually steal glory from God. So I want us to think together about five motives for godly giving. And I want to show them to you in Psalm 86. All right, so here's number one. Godly giving is motivated not by pride, not by power, not by guilt, not by greed. Godly giving is motivated by grace. That's the first motive. Grace from God. And that's what Psalm 86 is all about. Grace from God. It's the primary attribute of God in Psalm 86. In this Psalm, David is pleading for grace from God. You see this three different times. You might circle these in your Bible. Just make a note somewhere. Verse three, be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Verse six, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. Verse 16, turn to me and be gracious to me. I need your grace, even though I don't deserve it. Now, verse 2 can be a little bit confusing along these lines. 
because David says, preserve my life for I am godly. It almost sounds like he thinks he deserves God's blessing. I mean, it's kind of like if I were to pray right now, God help me because you know how godly I am. Like, hmm, something just kind of rubs you wrong about that, right? Well, that's where this, this translation's unfortunate, at least the way it comes off, because the phrase David uses there is basically preserve my life for I belong to you as a part of your covenant people. Almost like we might pray, God, I'm your child. I'm in relationship with you. I need you. That's why in the very next verse, he cries out for God's grace because he knows he doesn't deserve it. And this is the picture of grace that we see all over the Bible. So God's grace is his goodness expressed towards sinners like David, sinners like you and me who do not deserve his goodness. That's actually the central message of the entire Bible. So if you're new to the Bible or Christianity, like one person I met today, it's the first time they've ever been in a church. Here's a summary of this book. Every person in the world, including every one of us in this room and in other campuses, is a sinner who deserves holy judgment from God. And if we received what we deserve, then we would all be in hell right now. But thankfully, God is gracious. And God has sent his son, Jesus. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. The grace of God. God has sent Jesus to pay the price for our sins, to die on the cross for our sins, so that anyone in this room at other campuses, anybody in the world who turns from their sin and cries out to God for his grace through Jesus, you can be forgiven of all of your sin and reconciled to God now on earth and forever in heaven. Psalm 86, verse 5, God is good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon him. So if you have never turned from your sin and called on God, be gracious to me. Please save me from my sin through what Jesus did on the cross for me. I invite you to do that today for the first time. Just like people have done all across this building over the last week who've come here to Christmas Village and they found Christ. I invite you to join them today. Let today be the day where you, you can just write in your seat right now where you just say, God, I need your grace in my life. I need you to cover my sin. Bring me into relationship with you as your child. And God will answer that prayer because he is gracious. And then, so then, for all who know God's grace like this, who've begun a relationship with God through Christ like this, this is huge for how we give. Think about how this totally transforms, not just the way we live, but the way we give in so many ways. So one, we don't give out of guilt. Now think about this for a minute. Think about this with me. Should we feel guilt if we are hoarding our money or our resources? Should we feel guilty? Should we feel guilty if we are indulging ourselves in the possessions and pleasures and pursuits of this world and we're ignoring the poor? Should we feel guilty if we are not giving generously and sacrificially, like to a point where it hurts, to meet needs in Jesus' name? And the answer to those questions, based on the authority of God's word, is yes. Because all of those things are sin. God commands us not to hoard our money 
or our resources. God commands us to care for the poor. God commands us to give generously and sacrificially to meet needs in Jesus' name. And for this reason, we, and I include myself in this, we need to feel guilt if, when, these things are true in our lives. If they're true in our lives now, then we need to see the sin that is in our lives and <clears throat> the guilt that accompanies that. It's a dangerous thing when people with many material resources feel nothing about hoarding or indulging ourselves or ignoring the poor. If that's the case, that is a sure sign that our hearts are very far from God. And we are guilty of sin. But that's not what compels us to give. If we are sinning in these ways, these ways, then what should that compel us to do? It should compel us to cry out for what? For grace, right? To cry out for grace from God, to cover over our sins and to change our hearts and lives. We need God and his grace to do that in us. And the good news of the Bible is that God wants to give that grace, grace to us. He's waiting to. Verse 5, God is good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon him. So call upon him. God, forgive me for my sinful selfishness. I'm just prone, oh God, to want more and more stuff in this world. I'm prone to ignore the poor. God, please change my heart so I don't love the things of this world so much. So I change my heart so I love you and your commands and people, especially the poor around me, that I use my resources for your purposes. And when you cry out to God for grace like that, God will answer you. He will pour out his grace on you. He will forgive you completely and he will change your heart radically. And then, to follow this, then by his grace, you will be motivated to give. Grace from God will motivate giving to God. This is so huge. I think about the way people sometimes talk about giving. And even churches, pastors appeal for giving. Like, look at all Jesus has done for you. Look what Jesus did on the cross for you. The least you could do is give him some more of your money. Like you owe him that. I urge you, don't ever think like that. Don't ever, ever think like that. You know why? Here's why. Because Christian, you don't owe Jesus anything. You don't owe Jesus your money, your time, your this or that. You don't owe Jesus a thing. The Christian life is not Jesus gave his life for you so you pay him back with your money and your time and this or that. No. Because as soon as you try to pay Jesus back for all he has done for you, then you are actually undercutting the very foundation of grace that saved you in the first place. It's not grace if you pay it back. And Jesus hasn't called us to pay him back. He's not a businessman looking for a business deal with us. That's the whole point of grace. We can't ever pay Jesus back for what he's done for us. And then... So keep going here. You see how easy, how subtle it is to just miss the point. Keep going here. This is so important because in many Christians' lives, so many Christians' lives, we've condi conditioned ourselves to think about all that Jesus has done for us in the past, what he did for us on the cross. So then what should we do for him now? And we get into the sick religious mode of thinking that our church attendance and our Bible reading and our prayer and our offering here or there are somehow going to pay Jesus like we pay our mortgage every month. 
And that misses the whole point. Think about it. Why does that kind of Christianity miss the whole point? Here's why. Because thinking that in light of what Jesus has given for us, now we give to him, misses the whole point that Jesus is still giving to us now. Like Jesus, Christian, didn't just give his life for you in the past. Jesus is giving you life right now. Do you realize that every good thing in your life right now is because Jesus, by his grace, is giving it to you. There is nothing good in you right now apart from Jesus. Everything good in you, around you, comes from Jesus. Anything, you, anything good that you do today is the work of Jesus in you today. <laughs> you, know, you know why Jesus is not a businessman looking to do a business deal with you? Because you have nothing to offer. Everything good you have comes from who? It comes from God. It comes from Jesus. When we realize this, it changes everything about our giving. We realize the fact that we're even able to give is because of the grace of God. It's not like ultimately we've earned our money and now we decided we're going to give it to God when he's the one who gave it to us. He's giving it to us. Any money you have, you have only because of God's grace. Now, as soon as I say that, some of you immediately think, wait a minute, I work hard for my money. I spent years getting education, experience. I get up early every morning. I go all day. I work hard for my money. And I don't doubt that for a second. But let me ask you a question. Who gives you breath every morning you wake up? Who, who gives you energy all day long? Who gave you a mind to think and learn and process? Who gives you a mind to make business decisions all day? Who gives you a body to work, a mouth to speak, ears to hear? It is sinful pride and utter foolishness to think that you are ultimately behind what you have. Everything good you have is evidence of the grace of God. Which means, so now put all this together, this is why, right? Pride has no place in godly giving. There is no place for any of us to say, look at all I have to give, when we have nothing to give apart from the grace of God. Further, if everything we have comes from God, then why would any of us want any credit at all for giving that which comes from God? And keep going, don't miss this, because in our pride, we can actually convince ourselves that God needs us to give to him. In our pride, we can actually take the God upon whom we are totally dependent for every breath we breathe, everything we have, and we can actually convince ourselves that God is dependent on us. Oh, Man, woman, brother, or sister in Christ, do not be so deceived. God does not need you. We do not give because God needs a helper. We give because God is our helper. Amen. And so all of this leads to one, one more thing I'll say about grace when it comes to giving. I know we gotta move on, but this is so important. Can I just point out the obvious? The obvious that we are not in a place right now where we are worried about where our next meal is gonna come from. And none of us is wondering if the water we drink today is going to kill us tomorrow. We're not worried like a million people are in Yemen right now that we might die of cholera, basically die of diarrhea. We're not worried like thousands upon thousands of Rohingyans. We're not worried like those refugees are about all the men in this room being slaughtered and all the women being raped. And I could go on and on and on. And I want to be careful here because I'm not aiming for guilt. It's not that we should 
feel guilty that we're not in places like that. We're not talking about guilt. We're talking about grace. Like, why were you, why was I not born in Yemen? Or among the Rohingya people? You, I had nothing to do with where we were born. That is the sheer grace of Almighty God. That most of us were born, all of us live right now in one of the wealthiest places in the history of the entire world. That's the grace of God. We just need to realize it. It's grace. It's the pure grace of God that we get to sit here today and talk about all we can do as a church to meet urgent needs here in Washington and around the world for the glory of God. That is all based on His grace. It leads to the second motive for godly giving. So number one, grace from God. Number two, glory for God. That's why we give glory for God. Verses one through seven, Psalm 86, so the first section of petitions here. Verse eight starts a new section. Read it again with me. So David goes from asking for all kinds of things and he starts just praising God for who he is. There's none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. What he prays is, teach me your way then, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart. I will glorify your name forever. That is the heart of a godly giver. He knows the glory of God. He knows there's no God like him. He knows that God deserves glory, not just from him, but from all the nations of the earth. So he prays. What does he pray? I just want my heart to be united, undivided for your glory. And that's huge when it comes to giving, right? What does Jesus teach us about giving? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know where your heart is, look at where you're spending your money. That's where your heart belongs. It's a humbling verse. And David here has given us a picture. We saw it in Psalm 63 last week, Psalm 86 this week, of a heart that's in love with God. And the heart that gives is a heart that's in love with God. It's the picture of marriage that I shared last week. So tomorrow, my wedding anniversary, if I give Heather something because I feel like I should or I have to, that's a sign of unhealth in our marriage. I give to her on our anniversary because I want to, because I love her. And this is the motivation for godly giving. And I pray that God might increase this motivation more and more and more in my own life, in your life across this church, that we would be driven, motivated to give sacrificially and generously and joyfully. Why? Because we want more glory for God in Washington. And we want more glory for our God around the world, among the nations. Amen. That's, that's why the last thing we want is to give in a way that draws attention to ourselves. We don't want people to think we're great. We want people to think God is great. We want, don't want people to exalt us in our generosity. We want people to exalt God for his glory. On an individual level, then on a community level, and the church, like we don't want people to exalt McLean Bible Church for all we're doing. We want people to exalt Christ for all he's doing in our midst. He's doing so much in our midst. So uh, I've got some folks backstage I want to bring out, and I'm out of time because, uh, yeah, there's just no way I can get through these three motivations. Uh, so uh, 
Uh, yeah, but I want to get to this. So we'll hit, Lord willing, these more in the days to come, uh, unless Jesus comes back and That'd be far better than this sermon anyway. So, uh, so let me just give a, I'll, I'll give them to you, just a brief sentence for each one. And then I wanna, I wanna help us to see what God's doing by his grace in our midst for his glory. So uh, motive number three for godly giving, motive number three, good for others' lives. So we give so that others might know the grace and the glory of God. That's Psalm 86, verse nine. We give for others' good. And his grace being shown to more people for his glory among more people. Good for others' lives. Fourth motive for godly giving is godliness in our lives. So yes, it's not like uh, godly giving has no effect on us, on, on us because godly giving increases godliness in us. Meaning our relationship with God grows as we give. This is good for us. This is so good for us because the more our treasure is given by the grace of God for the glory of God, the more our hearts, Psalm 86 11 are united in love for God and enjoyment of his love for us. This is really good for us. That's fourth motive. And the fifth motive for godly giving is eternal gain. Eternal gain. Jesus' words, store up for yourselves treasures, not on earth, but in heaven. Give to that which will last forever. So this is the difference, right, between worldly giving and godly giving. Worldly giving, remember, is focused on temporary worldly needs. Godly giving, giving is focused on eternal needs. Not to the exclusion of temporary needs. So yes, 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 we work to help the poor, to free the oppressed, to provide the orphan a home, and on and on and on. But we give toward these things, not just so that needs are met, because we know that every person's greatest need is reconciliation with God. Reconciliation with God now, and for all of eternity, water filters don't get anyone to heaven. They're critically important but we don't just give physical water. We give, I was reading John 4 this last week, we give living water. Godly giving is motivated not just by temporary need, but by eternal gain. So here's what I wanna do. I want us to think about the grace of God in this church and by his grace, the opportunities we have to make the glory of God known from this church. Here in one of the most strategic cities in the world, this place where God has put us together. I'm so Humble that I get to be part of this picture with you all, us, the church family. So saying, all right, that was part of the point of the video earlier, just a picture of all the things that are going on that you may not know about, which is inevitable when you have over 10,000 people. Hopefully all 10,000 of us are playing parts in this picture. There's no chance we'll all know what everybody's doing. But I just want to put a face on some specifics. So let me ask uh, uh, Dr. Z and and Naomi to join me out here. And I'm saying Dr. Z because I'm not about to... uh, uh, obliterate their last name. So uh, Dr. Z and Naomi, as they're coming out, are, are originally from Ethiopia. Um, you may, may not know that outside of Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia, Washington, D.C. is the second most populated city when it comes to Ethiopian population. So uh, uh, many years ago, uh, Dr. Z and Naomi, uh, Lord brought them here to Washington, and uh, they've been a part of this church over the last year, um, started Ethiopian fellowship that meets quarterly. So a variety of Ethiopian brothers and sisters who are part of our church family meeting quarterly and together every Saturday night, so on a weekly basis, they're going out and sharing the gospel in the Skyline area among Ethiopians, Somalis, others. And then, so that's here in the city and then globally. And Naomi won't say this, but I'll say it for Naomi has pretty much single-handedly saved an orphanage in Ethiopia. So over 50 kids would be on the street right now. Had she not, uh, had she not, 
led out and, and church come alongside to help her, them together there and the work they were doing. That then led to Governor, Governor orphanage, orphanage that you heard a couple of weeks ago, Dale talk about that we're helping. So, uh, and, and they just got back from a trip. Dr. Z was doing medical care for all kinds of uh, uh, kids. Uh, Dr. Z is uh, MD at Inova in neurology. And so taking a team who was doing all sorts of uh, work with the kids over there. So I would just ask the question why? Like what, what has motivated you? And this whole picture of what I just explained, and that, that was a quick summary of obviously so much. Like, what, what has motivated you? Why? Well, the obvious is because of Christ. Um, we were living out our faith. We were just demonstrating Christ's love. And the Bible says much is expected from, much is given. And we were all here blessed with so much. And seeing the need over there and the little we can do goes really long way. So... Mm-hmm. That is why you were. T- tell us, give us a picture. Like when you've been there, and this uh, this orphanage that was about to, uh, I mean, totally shut down, and then even the uh, the government orphanage that you guys were at recently. Give us a, a, a yeah a picture of yeah what you've seen, what you've had the opportunity to be a part of there. Right. Two years ago, we went to Ethiopia to visit, just to visit, like most Ethiopians um, in the United States do, and then we had the opportunity to visit an orphanage. So we came back and then we found out the orphanage is shutting down because they did not have funding. So we made the connection with McLean and um, because of your generous contribution, people stepped in and helped 75 orphans in that orphanage, 26 of whom were uh, special needs. So if it wasn't for the help from McLean, this place would have shut down, all these kids would have been on the street, but the grace of God, they're still in the orphanage, they are being cared for. So that was very encouraging. Once that is completed, we moved on to helping another government orphanage. Um, we were there last week, actually. My wonderful husband, he made, uh, led the medical mission there, and uh, a team of nine people with our pastors, a couple of pastors. We went there and we were able to help 270 children, 33 of whom are special needs, with different needs, different medical needs, physical needs. The need is just so much, but um, little we did really helped a lot. We're very thankful and grateful for that. Mm. Now, uh, yeah. First. <laughs> Obviously, you guys serving there, um, but along the way, the Lord uh, uh, called you guys to serve in an even more up-close and personal way uh, with a way that's changed your family. So tell us a little bit about Absolutely. That. Our family changed forever, um, beautifully. Two years ago, when we visited first, the orphanage, God um, really felt like God is calling us to adapt. So um, two little boys, twins, Simon and uh, Stephen, we adopted them from Ethiopia. We brought them home last week. So <laughs> I think they're in the back. Let's see. Here they come out. So here are those two precious little, so just came into their home last Friday, uh, and here's their two beautiful little girls. So, so what's everybody's name? Uh, this is Adona, this is, this is Adona 8, Amran 6, this is, I can't tell apart, this is Steven, <laughs> and this is Simon. <laughs> that was priceless, like, oh. 
So, uh, and, and Dr. C. Naomi, like, thank you for the picture of God's grace in your family. Uh, like, this is one picture of God's grace representing uh, so many other, I mean, I think about all the other little guys and girls that uh, have a place, a bed to sleep in right now, and uh, the grace of God being shown to them as a result of what Dr. Z and Naomi have done. And just to, just to expand that a little bit, so again, you may not know, but over the last year and a half there in Ethiopia, McLean has planted 69 churches in that country over the last year and a half. Through our budget, we're supporting Child Evangelism Fellowship to reach 40,000 children every week with the gospel in homes and schools. We trained over 100 pastors there. We have plans to train over 5,000 pastors this next year. Working alongside church partners there, we're trying to get churches planted in 16 unreached people groups in Ethiopia. We're partnering to expand all that work with the churches and pastors and orphans into neighboring countries in the Horn that are hard to reach, Djibouti, Eritrea, Somalia, like by God's grace, this is what we get to be a part of. And it's just one family, one picture at one campus. Like I just think about the people in this room, people at other campuses right now, each of our lives, the grace God's given us and how we together get to be a part of taking that grace and making his glory known around the world, connecting what God's doing in a unique city like Washington with all uh, the large number of Ethiopians that are here with around the world. And it's not just among Ethiopians. Let me invite some others to come out here. Uh, let me invite some of our uh, brothers and sisters from fellowships in Chinese fellowship, Filipino fellowship, Latino fellowship, Nepali fellowship, the Persian fellowship from Afghanistan and Iran, Arabic speaking, Middle Eastern peoples, These men and women representing uh, folks all across different campuses who are part of fellowships like this. Like, Listen, I, 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 they're, they're still coming like this. I just, uh, I just want you to see a picture, church, like here in this room and other campuses, just see a picture of the unique place God has put us in. And, and the beauty is together, we are all one in Christ. That's the beauty, right? Like different languages, different cultures, different ethnicities, we are one in Christ. And yet, so I want you to see though, and these brothers and sisters, like every, Every one of these fellowships represents intentionality. Like each of these fellowships, part of their purpose is coming together is to intentionally reach out to Ethiopians, to Filipinos, to uh, Nepalis who are in the DC area with the gospel. And, and so by his grace, we wanna make his glory known. 
So in, in so many different ways. And it's not just doing that here in D.C. So let me invite Andrew and Rebecca to, to join me up here because Andrew and Rebecca are actually, so they've had jobs here in the city and now the Lord has led them to go to the Middle East with their jobs for the spread of the gospel as missionaries there. So they've gotten jobs in a, uh, we'll just leave the country unnamed, country in the Middle East and they're gonna leave in a couple weeks and they're gonna go work there for the spread of the gospel in that country sent out from this church family. So... So, so here's, here's my hope. Here's, well, here's my hope. My hope, one, is uh, that we realize that these things happen because we give sacrificially, generously, and joyfully. And joyfully is the key word. That we each play a part in this. Joyfully. I pray we don't see God's grace, God's glory like this and think, oh, do I have to give to that? Like, do I have to live for this? Like, maybe we think, I want to give to that. Like, I want my life to count for this together as a part of a church. So I pray that we will not give, church, because of pride or lust for power, that we won't give because of guilt or greed, and we won't give just to meet worldly needs. So as pastor, I just want to encourage us to give, not out of those motivations. I want to encourage us to give to give now in just a minute when we take up our offering. Maybe you need to pray in your life, your family between now and the end of the year. Like, what does this need to look like over and above your regular giving and to give to our services or mail online, whatever it is, but to give because God is gracious for others' good, for our own godliness, for eternal gain, and ultimately for his glory. Thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. As always, you can find thousands of more free resources at our website, Radical.net. And in the spirit of gratitude, we pray that your Christmas is filled with the hope of Christ in 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. Until next time, join us over at Radical.net.